especially in the church. We have compromised the gospel to fit the world. We've compromised the gospel because we don't want to offend anybody. The scriptures say we're all sinners. You all fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of you, including me. So we need to wake up to the fact that there is a God out there and he is high and lifted up and he is one that needs to be feared but we we tend to want to bargain with God well God if you'll do this I'll do that oh God help me and I will do this I remember myself living a life in a world of darkness and addiction. And I mean, I prayed for two, three years. God help me. God help me. But I wasn't really ready to surrender. I wasn't really ready to turn it over to the Lord. But when I prayed that prayer and I said, God, if you take these things away from me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. He did. I made a covenant with God. I didn't negotiate my way out of things. I said, hey, you do this for me, God, and I'll serve you. Well, to me, serving him meant, well, I go to church when I feel like it. You know, I'll say nice things. I'll try to be good to people. And God said, no, that's not what serving me means. That's not what you're going to get away with. 
You said you're going to serve me. You're going to do what I tell you. Amen. So God said, if you remember years ago when you were young, I called you to preach and you ran out of the church. And you ran away from me for 35 years. But now you're here. And now you're mine. So that's what you're going to do. But first, you're going to go wash dishes. You're going to scrub pots and pans. You're not going to talk to people. You're going to serve. I used to serve different events at, at the church I got saved in. Because one lady that was a good friend of mine, and she was there. She used to do all the food and all the cooking for the various different ministries that had dinners and stuff, for breakfasts. So I always got stuck working with her, but I always got stuck in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell you what the people were that were outside. I remember sometimes there was a crew of Filipino women that were serving because I would see some of them. But other than that, I didn't see anything outside the kitchen. Because God calls us to serve. You might say, hey, I want to be a great musician, God. I'll serve you that way. And God says, no, you'll clean the toilets. Because we got to do what God tells us to do. That's right. We can't negotiate our way around things. I mean, you're all familiar with Abraham and the story in Sodom and Gomorrah, where God, an angel of the Lord, comes down and says to God, or says to Abraham, hey, I'm going to destroy that city. I'm going to wipe it off the face of the earth. And Abraham says, no, man. There's got to be some righteous people in there. How about if I find 50 righteous people, will you save the city? God says, yeah, I'll do that. <clears throat> there weren't 50. Well, how about 40? Okay, I'll do that. I mean, God knows all along they're not there. And he negotiates his way all the way down to 10, and God stops. There's no more negotiation. And Abraham's still thinking, and then Abraham all of a sudden realizes, I would have to go down to four people, my family. We're the only four people in that entire city that are righteous. And I would have to negotiate my way all the way down there, but God just let us leave. Sometimes things are going to happen that you're not going to be able to bargain your way out of. I mean, we do it in the world. Oh, you talk to the boss and, huh? hey, I'll do this extra work, or you're in school, I'll do this extra work for credit. Just help me. And you negotiate that. But God doesn't negotiate. He knows what things are. So when Abraham finally realized that he was the only righteous people in there, 
He had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to negotiate. And God poured out his judgment on their cities. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is going to destroy the ugly things of your life if you surrender them to him. He says, confess your sins and I will cast them out into the bottoms of the sea. I will remember them no more. Amen. I will make you a new creation. I will set your feet on a solid ground. I will put a new song in your heart. God tells you all these things. Yet you still try to negotiate with God. Oh God, if you just do this, if you just heal me, I'll go to church. Oh God, if you just do this, I'll get up Sunday morning and I'll come in. Oh God, if you just do this, I'll show up on Wednesday night. God, if you just help me, I'll serve you. He wants you to surrender to him. Amen. As Chris said, he wants you to surrender it all. Surrender it all. There's no more bargaining. If you remember Jonah, God tells Jonah, hey, you've got to go to Nineveh. You've got to take them the gospel message. And Jonah's like, I'm not going over there with them crazy sinners. Those people are, it's like going into South Miami. I ain't doing it. <laughs> You're not getting me down there. I'm not going down on Alibaba Avenue, God. It's not going to happen. And God says to Jonah, well, first he ended up in the whale. Because he tried to bargain with God, and God just said, okay, there you go. But when he comes out, he does. He does what God asks. He goes and he, he shares the gospel. And the people repent. And Jonah leaves the city and he, he's mad. He's angry at God. Because God let those people repent. God, they were filthy sinners. They lived a horrible. Why are you doing that? Why do you make me share the gospel with these people? So Jonah leaves the city, goes out, and he, he's sitting down. And he's just throwing himself the greatest pity party you ever saw. I mean, he is having a pity party like you've never seen. You've all thrown pity parties. You know what they are. So God messes with him just a little bit. And he grows up this plant. And he gives Jonas shade as he's sitting there throwing this pity party. Jonah's getting all comfortable. And he's starting to really enjoy this pity party. And then God sends in a worm. 
He eats the plant. And it dies. Now Jonah is angry, but Jonah also comes to the thinking of God. That it's our job to share the gospel. It's our job. It's what God asks of us to bring the message of the gospel to this lost, to the sinners of the world. And Jonah tried negotiating with him, but it didn't work. God finally got his way. God is always going to win. I mean, you might as well realize that. It doesn't matter what you promise. Take, for instance, in Judges 11, you have Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was born of a prostitute, but he was a prophet. But he was born of a prostitute, so he had to go live outside of the area. And he went and lived and was raised up in a culture where they did human sacrifice, where they did all these crazy, crazy things. So he's up there doing this, and he gets called back to Israel to serve and to go up against the Amorites. Now, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Now, if you read the Old Testament, and if you read anywhere there, you know that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody, they're blessed. They're not losing. God's got them. God's got them covered. It doesn't matter what happens. The Spirit of the Lord is with them, and they're going to be fine. So they know that. But he doesn't really trust God. He leans back on this ways that he learned in this pagan society. And he says to God, God, if you give me the victory, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my front door when I return home. That's what he tells him. So he goes on and Jeff, I'd gets a mighty victory because the Bible says he's a man of valor. And the Spirit of the Lord is on him. But he didn't recognize that God was with him. And this is the problem we have. We don't always recognize that we're children of God. That we are God's. He has called us. He has given us a covering. You sang this morning the goodness of God. Well, the goodness of God is all upon you. You sang Waymaker. You know God is the Waymaker. He makes the way. We need to know these things. But Jephthah decided he's going to barter with God. So he promises that. He makes a deal with God. God, you give me this favor, and this is what I'm going to give to you. Well, he returns home after this great battle, after defeating the Amorites, and the first person to run out his front door is his daughter, who, according to what I could find in reading, was about 12 years old. 
13. Scripture says she knew no man. And most people, most girls in that age, bracket, they got married when they were around 14. So she was a little younger than that. Scripture says they sent her off for a couple months with her friends. But scripture also says in verse 38 that Jephthah fulfilled his vow. So he sacrificed his daughter. But there was no need to do that. If he had just trusted God, if he had just trusted the Lord, none of that would have happened. But he decided to barter. He decided it was better to take the ways of the world. But he had favor. And you all have the favor of God. Each and every one of you that has surrendered their life to Christ has been covered by the favor of God. I mean, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God gave it to you. You don't need to make a payment to God. You don't need to reimburse him. You don't need to tell him things. You just need to sacrifice yourself. Amen. Scripture tells us we are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead. We have God dwelling within us. We have the teachings of Jesus Christ who we are to be disciples of. We don't need to do things to negotiate, to barter with God. You've all done it. You wake up in the morning with a hangover. Oh, God, take this hangover away. I'll never drink again. <laughs> oh, God, don't let me lose this money at the casino. I'll never gamble again. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't let me go with that guy again. I'll never do that again. I mean, you've all made these kind of bargains with God. Give me that better job, God, and I'll do this. But you don't. God wants you to surrender your will to him. Amen. He wants you to serve him. He wants to be your God because he chose you. He chose each and every one of you. He handpicked you. Can you imagine that? The creator of all things, sitting up in heaven, looking down and going, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I pick you, and I choose you. He pours out his favor upon you. He asked, as James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you know the rest of the scripture? It tells you to repent, you double-minded, which is what it is. You can't live both in the spirit and in the world. It can't be done. You cannot do it. You cannot serve two masters. If you're going to be God's, be God's. And if you're going to be the world's, bless you and go and be with the world. But you can't be both. In 1 Peter, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, 
casting all your cares about him because he cares about you. We have to learn to trust God. Amen. I mean, the world is the negotiator. But we have to trust God. Amen. We have to understand that if we surrender it to God, let God have it. If you surrender yourself to God, let God have it. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about the world. It says in the scripture, he cares about you. Obviously, he cares about you. He chose you. He didn't chose you and say, oh, let me pick him. Here, Lyle. Now, let me use Lyle as a football to see if I can't kick him. He doesn't do that. He loves you. He wants you. He says in Scripture, he's building a mansion for you. He's building a mansion for you. There are many, and there's one for you. You're all familiar with Job. I mean, here's a guy that lost his, his children, his farm, his livestock, his house. He lost everything. He was covered in boils. He had a wife to say, curse God and just die. Because he was just miserable. If you look at him, never once, never once, said God. He never once tried to bargain with God. He just kept trusting God. Then no matter what, I mean, can you imagine, here you are sick. You're covered in boils and your three best friends come over and they sit in front of you and just stare at you. They say nothing and they just kind of mock you. And yet he never turned his back on God. Never. He trusted God all the way. No matter what came up, he never gave it up. We need to stop trying to bargain things with God and just give him the surrender that he deserves. Surrender your will to God. Give it all to him. I mean, Job's faithfulness proved out. He was granted more wealth than he had ever had. He had a whole new family. I'm sure he missed his first family. But God restored everything to him. Think about the times you were without God. I can remember having nothing. I mean, I had nothing. I lost the houses, I lost the family, I lost the kids, I lost everything. I had absolutely nothing. But I trusted God when I surrendered to him. And he's restored me. He's brought it back. He's granted me more now than I could ever imagine. But the greatest thing he's given me is peace. He's given me peace. He's given me joy. Because I trusted him. I surrendered to him. 
cannot predict how our faithfulness is going to manifest. We don't know. I mean, my faithfulness is not going to get me a Bentley. My faithfulness is not going to get me a Ferrari. But it's going to give me a good night's sleep. It's going to give me peace and joy. It's going to let me know that when I get sick or I have an illness, that God is right there with me. And that no matter what happens, I'm in his hands. James 11 says, 5.11 says this. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and he is very merciful. And a lot of you have felt God's mercy. God's mercy has poured out on a lot of you. I'm not going to point you out. But I know the stories of some of you. And God has been very, very merciful Amen. to you. And I know others that have grew up in a religious state. And it's very difficult to separate the religious stuff that you were taught with the relationship that Jesus teaches. But it's all about a relationship. I mean, that's the hardest thing Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were stuck in their religious traditions and they could not understand the conversion to relationship. They didn't want to give up their positions. And then we have Moses. I mean, everybody's got a bit of Moses in them. I mean, really. Moses and Abraham, you're, you're Abraham's seed, so you got Abraham in you somewhere. Amen. You have part of that, because it says you are his seed. But I think you all got a little bit of Moses in you, too. Now, here was a man that you wouldn't, you wouldn't hire to work the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> Yet, he was in charge of two or three million people. Here's a man that was a murderer. He stuttered. But it says in Exodus 3 that an angel of the Lord appeared to him one day. Came as a burning bush. Now I know if I saw a burning bush right there, I would be a little bit reserved. But I would be very, very curious as why it's there burning and it's still burning and an hour later it's still burning. It's not getting consumed. So Moses goes and sees what it is. And then a voice comes out of the bush and calls his name. Then the bush tells him, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Amen. And you know you're in the presence of God. Amen. Now there's a lot of you 
that have had that kind of encounter with God. Amen. Where you've been in your own little prayer closet and you've been praying and talking to God and he's just spoken to you. And he tells you, take it off. Take off your sandals because we're on holy ground right now. I mean, there's a lot of prayer times that we've had in here in the mornings. And as Chris mentioned, Friday night, the, the presence of the Lord was just so strong. You knew you were on holy ground. You knew you were being touched. So the Lord tells Moses eventually, he says, you're going to take the people out of slavery. You're going to lead them out of Egypt into a promised land. You're going to go before the Pharaoh. Now, I really believe he chose Moses because Moses had experience with that. He grew up in that kind of household. He understood. So maybe he wouldn't be as much feared as some of us would be. But God is leading us and he is leading the church. And we're going to have to stand up and take people out of slavery. Amen. I mean, you just had, you heard Brother Goodman talk about this morning, you had the move of Disney and what they're doing. They would rather your kids be pedophiles. Yeah. I mean, it's time to drop everything. Every connection you have with Disney, you need to drop. Get rid of Disney TV. Don't go there. Don't do anything with that. And there's other companies, and if you look into them, that promote things that are very, very ungodly. And if you just boycott them long enough, they may smarten up and change because we can all change from our wicked ways. We did, each and every one of you did, because each and every one of you were wicked in the sight of God. I mean, that's a terrible term in, in English, wicked. When you go up and say to your neighbor, do you know Jesus? They say, no. oh, you're wicked. <laughs> you might get a Will Smith slap. <laughs> But in God's eyes, you're wicked. In God's eyes, you're wicked. But as Moses gets ready to lead the people out of Egypt, what does he do? He calls upon God. He's looking for a reassurance. God, I'll do this, but I want to make sure it's you that's coming with me. See, he had to do that. We don't have to do that. We know the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Amen. So wherever we're going, God's going. Amen. We decide we're going to take God to the strip joint. He's going. And there's a lot of people that just go out and they don't realize what they're doing. What they're dealing with. God's favor flows out of a relationship with him. It's everything that you have 
you put into Jesus. It's that relationship. It's a humble submission, and that's very, very hard to be humble. It takes work. It takes sacrifice on your part. Because the society teaches us to be proudful. To get the pats on the back. God says no. Humble yourselves. God calls us to deny ourselves. That we might surrender to him. God calls us to fast. Why do we fast? Because it's a sign of submission. We don't haggle with God. We don't try to manipulate God. He's going to win out anyway. You all know that, but there's lessons in the Old Testament that we can see that just proves the things. Whenever God's saving power is at work in our lives, it's never because we made a deal God can't refuse. There's not one deal you can make and say, God, I got a deal you can't refuse. <laughs> God's going to say to you, I got a deal you can't refuse. That's right. Render your life to me and I'll give you an eternal home in my kingdom of heaven. Amen. There's a deal you can't refuse. So whatever you're going through, whatever you need God's help in, he's here for you. Amen. Don't think that you've got to negotiate it with him. You don't. He loves you so much he sent his son to die on a cross to pay for your sins so you can have a relationship with him. He doesn't need you to negotiate with him. Proverbs 15.9 says, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he who loves him also follows righteousness. Abraham, he was seeking to find righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he couldn't do it. All he had was his family. All he had was his family. We have the righteousness of Christ in us because we surrendered to him. God made him who had no sin be the sin for us so that in him we might become righteous in the sight of God. You understand God does not see sin. He will not look upon it. So if you're sinning, you can't be with God. That TV just went blank. There is no connection there. You've lost connection. I mean, when Jesus was on that cross, he was treated like a sinner, even though he was perfect. Mm -hmm. He was pure. He was holy. Mm -hmm. He was righteous. Mm -hmm. But he took that upon himself for all of us. We have the gift of righteousness because of Jesus. Amen. We have God's grace. We have God's mercy. 
because of Jesus. God is the one we need to give the glory to. God deserves the glory, not us. Romans 8, 8 says, to pursue righteousness means we must recognize we cannot please God in our sinful state. We turn from justifying ourselves. Now you've all done that, I know. I've rationalized things myself. You've rationalized things. Well, God, I just did this because. I can't do this because. And you rationalize it. God knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly what you're seeing on your phones. He knows exactly all that stuff. He knows what you watch on television. He knows what you watch on the internet. You can hide nothing from God. Why you think you can, I don't know. But you can't. I mean, it would be nice if you could. You know, you could just go into this little tent and God can't get in. It's like, you know, the house they had put Superman in lined with lead so the kryptonite couldn't get in. But you can't. You can't even hide a thought from God. Think about that. That thought you had when you said, oh, I really wish I could have punched her in the nose. You couldn't hide that thought from God. Colossians 3.1 says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Seek those things that are from above. Like Brother Goodman told us this morning, we're already passing through this life. I mean, you think it's the all in all, but you're only going to be here for a little time. You're going to be gone. When we come to faith in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us pursue righteousness. Because we're human and we fall short that. He commands us to walk in the Spirit. And that's difficult because all we've ever known is walking in the world. All we've ever known is walking in the flesh. But God says, no, you got to walk in the Spirit. Amen. You have to walk in the Spirit. Amen. Jesus walked in the Spirit. It means we have to live a life and a lifestyle that is submissive to God. We have to cultivate an ability to hear God. We need to hear Him speak to us. We need to hear the Holy Spirit guide us. Don't do this, do this, go there, do this. When we pursue his righteousness, we pursue his character, yes. not ours. Yes. My character is flawed. There's no doubt about it. But Jesus' character that tries to push through here is perfect. Amen. He hasn't pushed his way all the way through yet. Amen. As many of you will say. 
Ha, <laughs> uh, the nasty pastor. <laughs> but Jesus still loves me. Amen. I'm like John. I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm the one Jesus loves. We are to avoid temptation and self-righteousness. And we've all had episodes of self-righteousness where we've just made ourselves more better than sliced bread. Oh, you're better than sliced bread. That's an American saying. I don't know what the other sayings might be. But I guess sliced bread was quite an invention. <laughs> so you're better than that. But pursuing the righteousness begins with a humble heart. And that is a battle. That is something we go through. Humbling our hearts. Because our flesh has always told us not to do that. Our flesh has always tried to make us better than the next person. And in God's eyes, we're all the same. Amen. Yep. He loves each and every one of us Amen. equally. Yes, he does. Thank you, Lord. Just because I know he loves me doesn't mean he loves me more than he loves you. He loves each and every one of you. When you think about that, with Good Friday coming and remembering that Jesus was up on that cross, he was up on that cross for you, Amen. for each and every one of you. That's who he went up on that cross for. He is holy. He deserves our credit. So humble your house. So you've heard this scripture this morning. You're going to hear it again, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. I mean, there is no need to negotiate with God. There is none. Jesus has given you everything you need. He has forgiven your sins. He's given you a Holy Spirit to dwell within you. He has set you on a new path. He has set you into a new righteousness. We all know this. This is who Jesus is. This morning, if you need to come and just release something to Jesus, just come to the altar this morning. Let's all stand. Let's all stand and come to the altar. Surrender it to him. Surrender it to him right now. Surrender it all to Jesus. For he is our worthy. He is our long-coming king. Surrender it all to Jesus. Jesus, we love you this morning. We give you all the glory, Lord. 
We give you all the peace, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh. Let your sons and daughters prophesy, Lord. Lord, pour yourself out upon us. Oh, pour yourself out on us, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Fall in this place, oh God. Let the presence of the Lord fall. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Father, Lord Jesus. We humble ourselves. We bow down to you, oh God. Cleanse me, oh Lord. Purge my sin, oh God. Let me walk in your steps. Let me follow your path. Guide me, Father. Guide me, Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For I have sinned, O oh God. I fall short your glory. But I will serve you, Lord, whatever you ask. Whatever you ask of me, I will do. I will not be prideful, but I will be humble, Lord. And I will surrender myself to you. Oh, Lord, we just thank you this morning. We praise you this morning, God. We lift up our eyes upon the hills from where our strength comes from. Oh, Lord, we give it to you this morning. We give it to you this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord. 